Welcome back to Timely, the podcast where three friends talk about random, fun topics from the past, the present, and the future. This is producer Jeff McCullough. I'm taking the past today, and I'm going to tell you guys how a debate between the premier of Russia and the vice president of the United States in 1959 led to Pepsi becoming the sixth largest military in the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah. My brain was on such a roller coaster Whoa. during that sentence. Okay. So much to talk about. I can't wait for that. Uh, I am Danny Gula, and for the present topic, we're going to be discussing, is there something underneath Antarctica that will kill us all? Aliens. Aliens, totally aliens. That's it. That's what we're talking about. Okay, I'm excited for the present. I'm John Stom. I'm actually John Stom right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I, for the future segment, we're going to be talking about missile mail. Missile mail. Ooh. Okay. That's M-A-I-L, not, not M-A-L-E. Not M-A-L-E, <laughs> got it, got that's it. right. Yeah. Hey, if you have listened to this podcast in the past and you've liked it, I would ask that in the present or maybe sometime in the future, you leave us five stars and give us a good review. If it's going to be the future, make it the near future. Yeah. We really would appreciate your review if you like this podcast. And we like making it. If you like listening to it, then we all like it. This is very clear. All right. You guys want to dive right back into the past? Let's rewind. Before we get into the past segment, we want to point out the fact that there's a really important election right around the corner, and we want you to vote. Yeah, and uh, a, a record number of people are saying this is the most important election of their lifetime. So whatever part of the political spectrum you fall on, this is probably a big deal to you. So we want to really encourage you guys to get out there and vote. And a little tip for you, vote informed. Just type in voter guide and either your county or your state, and you can get a lot of information on the candidates you're voting for and the issues that are being considered. It's super easy. There's a bunch of different ways you can vote. You can vote early, in person. You can vote by mail. You can go on the day of. Just make sure you have a plan. Think about it before the day of, because if the day comes around and you haven't voted yet and you haven't thought about how you're going to vote, you probably won't do it. So think about it right now. How are you going to do it? And make a plan. Go do it. All right, guys, welcome to the past. Ooh. It's kind of cold in here. It is. Mm. In the past? Yeah, because it's yeah. warmer now because of climate change. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I was speaking more of the Cold War. Oh. Uh, I did there? Uh-huh, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so the Cold War is the, the nuclear arms race of the 20th century. Pretty much between America and Russia. There are yep. a few other countries involved, right? There were some small bit players. There were. Uh, that's where we get the term first world and second world from. First world were, were the Western capitalist nations, and the second world were the Eastern communist nations so it doesn't even apply and because right. it applies to cu- countries that supported them or that they supported yeah so the cold war was a, a very much built on pretty much capitalism versus communism that's a lot of what was the aftermath of world war ii and the ussr which we now know as russia was a conglomerate of countries in eastern europe and northern asia that we again now know as russia and um, they were always very closed down. The thing about communism, which is di- a little bit, it's different than socialism. A lot of people put the two together, but there is they a distinction. Different. Communism is like we do everything within our nation as a nation. The government does everything. So nobody trades with us. Nobody buys from us. We do everything internally and yeah. take care of it all, right? Right. 
that's like the opposite of capitalism, which is all about free trade and all this other stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They finally got a premier in the 1950s named Nikita Khrushchev. Mm. Uh, I, that guy. Yeah, that guy. That guy. He's Khrushcheving it up. Yeah, he was. And he had a little bit more of an open mind to be like, let's actually debate the West or let's debate capitalist countries about why communism is better. Mm-hmm. So in 1959, Dwight Eisenhower was able to convince Khrushchev and the USSR to put respective exhibitions in each other's capitals. Oh. So in the United States, there was a USSR exhibit, basically, okay. that talked about how great communism was. And in Moscow, there was the American exhibit that was talking about how great capitalism was. I like that. That's way better than the, like, if you claim to be a communist or we're afraid you're a communist, we're locking you up, which right. is what we were doing. Yeah. That's right. So at one point, the vice president of the United States, Richard Nixon, okay, was with Khrushchev at one of these exhibitions, and that's where they had what some of you might know if you paid attention in junior high history class, the great kitchen debate. So they were in a kitchen. You don't, you're not, it's not familiar? No, I don't remember this. I don't remember this one. So this is where... Uh, I mean, I had a great kitchen debate with my wife last night, but it... <laughs> it was like, what to do with the shelves? No, it was a little more of an, a kitchen argument. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. cleaning the kitchen. Well, that's yeah. what this was, too. Okay. Because they were getting into it, and it was... The press was there, so the cameras are, are out and microphones and everything, and you can, you can actually watch this debate. It got huh. a little bit heated. Cool. Not like they were going to like go to blows, but they were Dang. obviously very passionate about their views. At any rate, um, they, they got very worked up, and... Naturally, the American exhibition had lots of sponsors, such as Disney and, you know, car companies and Pepsi. Okay. Oh, Pepsi-Cola. The, the vice president of Pepsi saw how agitated Khrushchev was getting <laughs> and stepped in and said, take a sip of this and maybe you'll feel better. He smelled it and said, it smells like shoe wax. Oh. Took a sip and said... This is one of the greatest things I've ever tasted. <laughs> here's the problem. He went home to the USSR and said, we have to get Pepsi in here. But the problem is nobody was accepting USSR currency, the ruble at that point, because they're a communist nation. Yeah, right. So they re- they refused to let other nations trade with them. They never traded with other nations. Uh-huh. They were just going to do their thing. But they had to have Pepsi. They yeah. had to have Pepsi. Sure. Make an exception. And Pepsi, Pepsi's willing to make a deal, I'm assuming. They were willing to make a deal. So in 1972, they finally figured this thing out. And Russia was, or I'm sorry, the USSR was like, how about we just send you a bunch of vodka? <laughs> okay. And Pepsi was like, that's cool. We'll send you Pepsi syrup for like $3 million of vodka, however much it was at that time. So that was like a... So, hang on. We weren't drinking Russian vodka at this time? I don't know. It was a specific type of vodka. Okay. It's like the Stavoyevich. Okay, because I was going to say, like, vodka, like, that's, I mean, there's lots of nations that make vodka, but Solachnya. Russia is the vodka nation, so I'd assume if we were drinking vodka, we were still getting it from I wonder Russia. if it was like Cuban cigars. Maybe there was a little bit of an embargo. Oh, well, maybe oh, so. I don't, I don't know. know. <clears throat> At any rate, it worked out, but then in the in 1980s, that deal ran out. Because they were out of vodka? Well, I don't think they were out of vodka. They're never out of vodka over there. <laughs> but, um... Pepsi was like, you need to pay up, and it's going to cost you a little bit more this time. And the USSR was like, trying to figure out what to do. They're actually kind of coming to the point where they're having issues. This is, you know, remember yeah, yeah. 1991 was whenever the Soviet Union yeah. fell. Right? They were running out of Because the problem with, with this fall of the Soviet Union was financial. Right. Because they, they weren't well, trading with anybody. They also ran out of Pepsi. That was a big problem. It's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the solution that the Soviet Union came up with was, listen, we have a ton of of submarines. <laughs> we have some uh, some frigates. Oh, I have, I have a thought. Keep going. We have we have a couple of uh, destroyers. 
We'll give you our boats if you give us Pepsi. <laughs> they just really wanted Pepsi. They really wanted it. And Pepsi was like, okay. <laughs> so in 1989, Pepsi became the sixth largest military in the world. Because of its naval fleet? Yes, because of its naval fleet. This makes so much sense now. Do you remember in the mid-90s? Yeah, the ad. Pepsi the, Pepsi points. Yeah, yeah, okay. Pepsi points. That was a big deal. Pepsi points, if you drank enough Pepsi, like you collected the bottle caps or the whatever the labels or whatever, you added up all your points. They were, they were like, you could you could win this starter jacket. Yeah, or yeah, you like, could win you, these uh, For 100 shoes. points, you get this. For 200 points, you get that. Get for a PlayStation. points, you get a PlayStation. Yeah. For a, and then they just made up some ridiculous number. You can find this commercial on yeah. YouTube. Like, if you save up 10 million points, you'll get this fighter jet. Yeah, it was a this? Harrier jet. Is a Pepsi commercial and there's like this kid in a in a Harrier jet. And he's like, yeah. cool. And they were joking, obviously, but they got sued for, because because no purchase was necessary. Yeah. And um, and there was a jabron, a jabroni, a jabroni. Yeah. There was a guy who actually saved up that many Pepsi points to get like, the Harrier. I jet. want my Harrier. And Pepsi was like, we were kidding. And he's like, I don't care. I want oh, a Harrier. Oh, oh, but oh. this makes a lot of sense now. They actually, they, maybe they had a Harrier. They, they, they had actually, a, they didn't. There's okay. an itemized list of everything they got, but they they were big okay. on military uh, <laughs> items for sure. What did they do with them? So they sold it to, I think it was Sweden for scrap and got like thirteen million dollars or something. Like I mean, that. that makes sense. I mean, that's a, that honestly, that's just a smart way to do it. Like. I think it's weird that we wouldn't accept the currency of the communist nations because we we're just so afraid of communism. That that part, like, the well, hit- they, to be fair, they're not accepting currency from any other nation as well. It went both ways. Yeah, okay, I guess that kind of makes sense because of like if they don't want any trade coming in, and, and currency is just a a, a, a paper expre- expression of trade essentially. The reason for that is because the locals within the communist nation would start to gain affection. For another country that's giving them more stuff that they like they had to keep everything okay, contained yeah. so pepsi also claims that they were the first imported anything into the ussr they also claim that they were the first cola company with submarines that's true and <laughs> that's really cool uh i mean that's a good idea at least good on pepsi for kind of figuring out how to be like that is kind of american like business savvy like we're all known for you know oh we're all entrepreneurs and stuff they're like look if you want to make a deal we'll figure out a way like okay i could i could sell these Boats? Well, in 1990, <laughs> it reached a point where um, Pepsi kind of had the USSR's arm twisted behind their back and was like, we're actually going to hold out on you. And they were wanting to put like an embargo on Coca-Cola, like you can't import Coca-Cola or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Um, and the official cola of Soviet, of Soviet Russia. They actually convinced the Soviet Union to expand to Pizza Hut's. So that they, Pizza would basically double the amount of stores they have worldwide by putting Pizza Huts all over the USSR. The problem is in 1991, the Soviet Union crumbled and then all of these little nations like Belarus and Ukraine were like, they were making the mozzarella in Ukraine <laughs> yeah. where they were making the sauce in, in Belarus were like, well, we want a cut of this. Yeah. And Pepsi's like, uh, the deal was with the Soviet Union. So that all kind of fell apart. Yeah, that whole thing was kind of rough. I remember one of our friends, uh, Olga Cage, uh, she was, she's, been a YouTuber for a long time and she runs a company. She's from, uh, what was the nation? Crimea. Crimea. Uh-huh. She's from Crimea. And they have, she, they've got a great river there. They do. The Crimea, Crimea river. river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I never knew her story. I knew she was Russian. I knew like her, I knew a little bit of it, but I didn't know why she came here. And it was because of the fall of the Soviet Union, whenever that happened. Yeah. It, it wreaked havoc on all the satellite nations that were kind of a part of it. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool, though, because um, at that point when the Soviet Union was about to crumble, Pepsi was able to assert, and they did do this publicly, that they were more effective 
at disarming the Soviet Union than the United States government. <laughs> yeah, they took yeah. all their their um their naval fleet. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a huge problem. Like right now is because during that end of the Soviet Union and them having like them using weapons as currency, there is a large chunk of uh, weapons that we don't know where they are. Yeah, specifically nuclear weapons. Yeah. Pepsi knows. Oh, they. Know. Do you think Pepsi bought any of the nukes? <laughs> Pepsi's got nukes. Oh yeah. Now Ooh. we're getting into conspiracy. We should do a, we should do a whole conspiracy episode. Oh yeah. How can you be the sixth largest military in the world and not have nukes? You gotta totally. have nukes. It's yeah. a deterrent, right? If you, I mean the cola wars happened, you the, need to make sure. Yeah. I mean, we went from the Cold War to the Cola Wars. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Speaking of nukes, let's find out how many are underneath Antarctica. Ooh, what? <laughs> All right, guys. So into the present. Mm. Um, are you guys aware of Antarctica? I was just talking about Antarctica this morning. Are you serious? <laughs> with my five-year-old because he was asking about like where people live in the world. And he was like, oh, who lives in Antarctica? And I was like, well, nobody really lives there. There's like some scientists that have like a base there. but Yeah, they live there like temporarily. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's from there. Well, yeah. one thing that always confused me about Antarctica is why is Antarctica continent but the area of the north pole is not oh well that's interesting because there is land underneath the ice in antarctica which i have since found out in the north pole there is not it's just ice it's just ice it's just ice um so that's what that's what i kind of want to get to is what's underneath antarctica because it's important because right now the eastern because right now the easternmost coast of it is there's a giant glacier there and that is starting to crack okay now hold on real quick Antarctica is on the bottom of the globe. Yeah. So which side is the east side? That's a good That's question. A great question. Ooh. Well, there's an eastern and western hemisphere. I guess it's, so all it's probably relative. it's relative yeah, to the okay, hemisphere. Okay, okay, so okay, yeah, okay, okay, it's, okay. it's probably okay. We we got there. We're we like, hang there, on a second. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but I was like, oh yeah, we have hemispheres that we've designated as east and west. We're good. Got okay. it. They thought this through. Because <laughs> when you said that, I thought, okay, everything I'm about to say doesn't make sense anymore because <laughs> okay. I can't trust it. It does. It's all relative. Okay, it's relative. Okay, so the easternmost part is a, there's a giant glacier and it's actually starting to crack and there's a big uh, concern right now that it might be irreversible and if that cracks off that's kind of like the big protector that keeps a lot of water warm water from coming in that can keep the rest of antarctica from melting off into the ocean now is this due to the ozone layer being broken down above antarctica uh this i mean i'm not sure exactly why but i think it's all due to just general climate change like whether or not it's the it's the ozone but there is um there is big chunks of it. And we'll talk about this a little bit later that, that that come from just warm water coming in, storms, all kinds of things. There's there's massive reasons for it. But so that's about to that's that's cracking and we're concerned that might crack off. So that leads to the question, what's underneath Antarctica? Antarctica. Because to Jeff's point, why is it a continent? Well, there is land under there. Okay. Um they actually have been digging and they dig out cores all the time. They take these big hot water drills and they just drill, 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 drill down. Well, they found underneath Antarctica. A gigantic lake. Huh. Interesting. This lake is 5,800 square miles. Now, for our uh, for our Reference. European oh, uh, listeners, or Sorry. anywhere else other than the United States, right. that's 15,000 square kilometers. 
Can I ask you a question? Even yes. though I know you're not an expert on Antarctica and you're yes. just reading well, this I am, article. I am now. How deep is in the ice? Like, how, how deep is the ice before you get to land? Interesting point. Because my next point I'm going to say is that is far enough down through the ice. It's 11,800 square or 11,800 feet down. Oh my, that's really far down there. It's really far down there. So um, they cored down two miles to get down to this Hold ice. Hold on a second. How is that considered land as opposed to just the bottom of the ocean? Like well, how deep is the ice in the North Pole? Remember, so this land is above sea level. There's no water above, like there's no ocean that goes over it. If this ice melts, this land is exposed. So this ice is all on top of the continent, which is oh. on top of the water. So like it's basically, Antarctica is like a giant ice mountain. Yes. Basically, yeah. Okay. That's um, so, awesome. This, so, I, I actually am learning something. Yeah, so there's a bunch, there, and there are a bunch of mountains and different things under there, and we'll get to what those are called in a okay. second too. So yeah, they drilled they drilled down there, and uh, it's important because like they're wanting to know like what's, un, what's in this water, what's down there. If there's water under there, or if there's life, or there's anything under this, this tells us a lot because that's been down there millions of years right uh the temperatures down there are minus negative 89 so i don't get how the water is water down at that temperature maybe it's pressure there's something along the lines i'm not the science i think salt water doesn't freeze right could it be salt this water? is fresh water it's fresh water this is fresh water down there so it's minus 89 degrees celsius or minus 128 degrees fahrenheit and down there they did find life they found life frozen underneath antarctica now single cell life the reason being is, is it's all it's formed so long ago, uh-huh. so um, it's kind of developed with the same structure. Like so, this is kind of a window into the past of the Earth. Like how does everything else kind of start to form? These are the beginning. Like this is a almost a time capsule. Well, they also found evidence of up to thirty five hundred other species down there. Dang. Now that, that are not currently found elsewhere on the planet. That these are new. Okay. This is just like we found these other living things down there. And now that's d- kind of they're debating on whether or not that number is accurate or not. But regardless, there's a there's evidence of there at least has been, might be a lot of living things down there. Um, but that's not the only lake down there. There's 400 lakes underneath the ice. Hmm. Look yeah. out, Minnesota. There's yeah, new great yeah. lakes. Take there's that, there's a ton of it. Now, so to get to Jeff's point is like the whole uh, continent's kind of broken into the east and the west side. And all the ice isn't. Sorry, here. I just realized I said something so stupid. Would you look out, Minnesota? There's a new Great Lakes. Look out, Minnesota. There's a new land of a thousand lakes. Oh yeah, yeah, you got there. You got there. You got there. No, that's there's none. Right. There's no Great Lakes in Minnesota. No, they've got a thousand lakes and not a single Great One. No, just, I've I, been had. I have to edit out my stupidity. Okay, I have to recognize it. Okay, Minnesota, you've pulled a fast one on me. I assumed they had at least one Great Lake. No, it shows my how much geography I know. But the ice isn't even. So like uh, one portion of it has more ice, it's deeper than the other side, but like the whole eastern part is like just a big giant glacier. That's, that's an important part because there's like a ridge that kind of divides the eastern part and the western part. Now what that ridge is, to Jeff's point, like what's down there? Why is it a continent? Like the ridge is uh, these things called cratons. There's a bunch of them down there. And what those are, those are remnants from this, you know, you're familiar with supercontinents? Yeah. The concept of supercontinents. Is that Pangea? Well, I didn't know. This is what I didn't know. This is what I just found out. There's more than one supercontinent, like, because it's kind of been different times, how it's shaped and different ah. things. So this was a supercontinent called Gondwana. Mm. Um, I've got people from there. And the and you've got people from Gondwana. I mean, kind of you do. <laughs> this is a supercontinent. <laughs> Isn't all... that where Black Panther's from? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Yes. By the way. Minnesota is on a Great Lake. We can't get our Minnesota. <laughs> oh my gosh! We don't. Okay, I'm sorry, Minnesota. It's we're on Lake Superior. We're okay. Continue, throughout this whole podcast, we're going to continue to come back to how stupid we were. We're going to learn more and more about Minnesota. 
<laughs> they probably have a great cheese thing like Wisconsin too. Do you have cheeses in in Minnesota? Somebody, somebody, let us know. Don't don't say any more facts about Minnesota that we're gonna have to like revise later. <laughs> we're gonna have a whole episode. Sorry about Minnesota. Their state bird is the emu. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> So the re- these cratons, these like giant rock formations. Now that's what you put on a salad, right? Those are what you, sorry. That's why they're so hard. <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. No, so these cratons, they are remnants from the old continents, uh, from the supercontinent, and they have rocks that seem to be similar from the rocks that were all formed in Australia, India, and in the seabed. So there's just like this giant chunk of from whenever these things were moving around and like things were kind of just left over, stuff that have disappeared to time everywhere else still live underneath Antarctica. I can't remember, like, when they show the models of Pangea, and it, like, breaks apart, you know, like, the super fast time lapse yeah, of, yeah, like, yeah. all the continents breaking apart. Is Antarctica part of Pangea? Uh, I mean, probably, it was, right? Like, everything was all... I think so. I know, here's a, here's a shot, and nobody can see this because it's oh, a yeah. podcast, but this is Gadwana. Okay. And this is Laurasia is the other one. So this is, like, a different part. This is Rodina. This is another supercontinent, how it was at some point. So, like... Uh, Antarctica is kind of, it's all just smashed in there. You know? huh. So weird, this podcast city, because the first thing my 11-year-old said when she woke up today, and I'm not lying, she said, I had a dream last night about Pangea. I'm like, oh, oh that's interesting. I don't know anybody that dreams about supercontinents. Yeah, that's why cool. are all of our kids talking about Antarctica and Pangea know. on the same because day? Because they're concerned about Antarctica. But something you said there, which I always do find fascinating, how like just geologically they yeah. can match up stuff on like the coast of South America to the yeah, yeah. coast of Africa. That type of thing is just fascinating. Like at one point these were next to each other, right. but they're not anymore. Right. Yeah, they have the same kind of rocks in both places. Uh-huh. They have the same kind of like fossils and species mm-hmm. and all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. So awesome. It's so cool. But so the problem is, is though, uh, that rock ridge is kind of what's protecting that eastern coast. Yes. That, it's, it's kind of what's protecting that eastern coast. That eastern coast is all that gigantic glacier. Well, that gigantic glacier protects the warm water from coming in. It's kind of cracking, getting away. But if the ice melts, it's 20% uh, or it'll, it'll cre- be a 20% increase for the ocean levels. That's not good. 38 feet. They rise. That's a huge amount of water. If all of the ice, so that I, the, the concern is, is that ice shelf. If that goes away, or that glacier, it's called the Ross Glacier. If it goes away, it could cause all that ice to melt, which would uncover all of this stuff, which is kind of a cool thing. You know, at least if the world's going to end, we're going to find out what's under Antarctica. So we'll find out what's under Antarctica, but all of Manhattan will be completely. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, to be thinking about that, it's like eighty percent of the fresh water on Earth is in Antarctica. Yeah, just frozen. Wow. Are they concerned at all that any of these microbes could like cause another pandemic? Well, so that is, so these aren't like, these are single celled organisms. They're not bacteria, but they have found, they have thought out some ancient bacteria in like Siberia and stuff as permafrost is starting to melt. Like this is all related. So like what's underneath all of the things that have been frozen forever, we're about to find out and whether we like it or not. uh, It's kind of like a new planet. It's like discovering all sorts of new life that's just... Well, Pretty cool. to that point, too, uh, that's kind of su- part of the reason they want to do this. So they, they discover this all from space. They watch it. There's been a big hole that's shown up in the middle of the ice in the middle of Antarctica that could keep breaking off more and more and more. There's all kinds of things. But um, by studying the ice under here, there's a reasonable assertion that underneath the ice on Mars, underneath the ice on uh, in certain parts, I think Jupiter, like other planets, at least. Jupiter, our, Jupiter's moons, probably. Jupiter's moons. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, that the lakes would be very similar to what's under there possibly formed around similar times too so like there's it's like setting the scape or the setting the stage for what to look for in other planets when we look for life now everyone thinks we're gonna find life and it might be aliens or some cool creatures so it's most likely just if we find life gonna be little microbes yeah but man like i i'm really interested to see what's 
down there. Like, I, I want somebody to, like, not just core down there, but actually go down there. How cool would that be? You know how we get there faster? Find out faster. You go through the other side? Uh, no, you just don't recycle and um, you uh, just, you know. <laughs> okay, message received, people. All right, I, I, I wasn't raised with the discipline of recycling and the, the guys are trying to catch me up. I wasn't calling so that you was a, That was a shot at me, everybody. I wasn't, listeners can't see me winking at Jeff. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. I'm kind of like, there are some scientists who are like, yeah, this isn't all, not all of it is bad. When these holes form, it's not the end of the world. Like it actually provides things for the penguins down there. There's, there's other things, but there is a concern that what cause, what that does is change oceans mm. and the temperatures of the oceans and how they flow, which causes total global cha- shifts sure. in the planet. Uh, but then if that ocean water is raised 38 feet, I don't know what that does to coastlines, but I think it's a lot. I think it's, it's a, a big deal. It's probably think, not good. That's, yeah. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. A lot of people be underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they would move as the Yeah, water. I mean, it happened gradually. <laughs> it would, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe some people would be stubborn and be like, ah, I don't see it. There's no stubborn people in That's, the world. No. Danny. Especially not in America. That's no. just them talking about the 5G. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 5G's fault. They don't want us to know. You can breathe underwater. <laughs> Thank you for preparing us for a potential catastrophic future. No, but the cool thing is, is now that we know this stuff, it doesn't have to be catastrophic. John, does your uh, topic about the future entail anything catastrophic? No, it's um, actually pretty awesome. Can we go there then instead? Let's, let's go there. Let's okay. do it. Yeah. Before we get into the future, mm. I'm going to give you a quick little bit of the past. It was like a prediction made in the past about the future. Mm. Okay. Okay. 1959. So hey, was that was the year of the Great Kitchen Debate. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And this is tying into, again, like I said, the uh, the Cold War and the missiles and all that. Okay. So, okay. 1959, there was a Navy admiral. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, he's a postman. No, right. I read that wrong. I, I just read general. I thought it was postmaster general. Postmaster general. Okay, that's that's a way less cool title. Just <laughs> I so you know, it was just a regular general. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, no. That's a, that's a lame general. <laughs> like he gets a cool uniform, but we should just call him like postmaster guy. <laughs> okay, so I got I got a couple things crossed here. This is in 1959. The Navy did something, and then this postmaster general said that he made this prediction. So he wasn't he wasn't a general. He was the postmaster general. So in 1959. The Navy launched a rocket. The United States Navy launched a rocket carrying 3,000 letters from a submarine, and it was off the coast of Florida. So, wait. The Postmaster General said, he made this prediction, before man reaches the moon, which was, as we know, 10 years later, Okay. mail will be delivered within hours from New York to California, to England, to India, or Australia by guided missiles. Okay, so hang on. Why were they launching letters? It's just a test. From submarines? Yeah. Were they actual letters or just pieces of paper? Like, did somebody take the time to get letters? Like, this is what I want to know. Because <laughs> What happened to those real letters? Like, well, no, like, you didn't need to be, they didn't need to be letters. They could have just been paper. Right. It probably was. It, I mean, I'm sure this was just a test. And I mean, nobody's I'm real, really, nobody's real letters were lost. I'm just, well, I don't even care if they're real letters. I'm just concerned about wasting government money on people <laughs> writing fake letters to That's, put in the thing. Well, beyond that, like, they're using submarines, which are probably not cheap to function. So they're taking submarines that are going underwater to shoot missiles out using all of that fuel to deliver 
our, our practice delivering mail? I'm okay with the practice of it, but I'm just concerned about wasting government money needlessly. Okay, well, you guys are focused on some very <laughs> different Sorry. details than I took away from this. But anyways. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I thought it was cool that we did a test of missile mail back in the day, <laughs> and this guy made a prediction that that was going to be a thing, and it obviously has not yet come to fruition in so many years later. Yeah. You're about to say yet. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I got you with that one. All right. So missile mail. Uh, maybe we're going to see this in the future. Um, basically, the United States military has asked um, some private companies like SpaceX, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. We're fans of them. Elon Musk's private uh, rocket company. And, you know, some other people who make rockets and work in that that industry, um, they've asked them to try to figure out how we can deliver cargo. So not necessarily, like, specifically just letters, because who does that anymore? You got email. Um, <laughs> that's instant. Yeah, we're but, talking about two-day... We're talking about Amazon Prime. Right, right. Amazon Prime, yeah. Yeah. So, but two... Uh, but... Uh, the, the military has asked these companies to try to figure out how to deliver cargo around the world really, really quickly. So do you guys know how, like, we deliver cargo, um, you know, to a battlefield or something like that? How do we do that right now? Airplanes? Airplanes. Cargo airplanes, yeah. yes. And this is why I wish we had my or dad choppers. On. What's that? Do choppers? Do Cho- it? Choppers? 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 Get to the choppers. Get to the choppers. I don't think so. I think they deliver stuff with chopper. Maybe a little. Maybe they'll, like, deliver one thing. Do you think if Arnold Schwarzenegger's going out to a Spanish restaurant, he says, get to the tapas. <laughs> get to the tapas. <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> anyway, I wish we had my dad on the podcast because my dad used to fly cargo airplanes for yeah. the United States Air Force. And here at Scott Air Force Base, which is like right, uh, the, like the town over from us right now, yeah. um, is, is pretty much the center of the country. And um, that's why uh, Transcom, which is the Transportation Command, is located at Scott Air Force Base. Yeah, we Base. got some big old planes there. It's the center of like, Transcom basically controls all of that stuff, the cargo moving, um, you know, tanks and jeeps and people around to different bases and different battlefields all around the world. Like, they just handle all that movement. Um, so, anyway, Transcom has is talking to SpaceX about how do we get your really cool rockets, which, as we've talked about on this podcast, not only do they take off, they land themselves. Yeah. Like, I just can't get over how cool that is. And yeah, because if instead of going to up into space and taking somebody up there, it just, like, stayed a little lower and went to a different continent. Yeah. What is the benefit of this as opposed to airplanes? So, right now, it takes a C-17, which is, uh, it's, the C-17 is called the Globemaster. It's, like, the biggest, like, most, well, the C-5 is technically a bigger airplane, but the C-17 is kind of like the workhorse of the Air Force. Is that the one that's based around here that flies around every night There's at a ton o'clock? Of- uh, maybe. <laughs> no, really. Every night at the, like ten o'clock, one of those gigantic planes from Scott Air Force Base with like Do the four have... huge props. Ooh, the big that might bird. be a um a C one thirty. Yes, okay, we, okay. We, I know there's some C one thirties there. I think are there C are there C fives over there? C five is like a C one thirty, but it's got jets instead of props. Oh, see the props is the what, what I'm. Yeah, hearing. I've seen a lot of C one thirties around here. Okay, so the C seventeen is another just gigantic airplane that I mean. To most people, it's just, I don't know, it's just a big airplane. And it holds, you know, a bunch of cargo, like tanks and jeeps and all this stuff. And they fly around all the time to Afghanistan and Iraq and all this. It takes about 12 hours to get from, you know, from the United States or from, like, a place where they can load it up to a deployed, like, situation. 12 hours, which is honestly really fast. Most countries can't do that. That's very quick deployment. And that that kind of technology really came about in Desert Storms, like, the early 90s. It was the first time we were able to really quickly deploy... All kinds of troops to the battlefield, and I think that comes from being able to mid-air refuel, right? That's like yeah. the big thing is like we do it nonstop now. They can take off from California and fly all the way across the Pacific Ocean, get some gas in middle in the middle of the air, which is so amazing, cool. mm-hmm. um, and then you know land in Afghanistan or whatever. So I've, I've been told uh, 
refueling pilots never have to pay for their drinks. My, I, I am good friends with the refueling pilot. Uh, does he say? Uh, you ask him if he ever I has to, to pay for him. drinks. I've been told if they're at like the bar where like any military base, if you're a pilot of those planes, you never have to buy drinks because those guys have saved the butts of everybody. Yeah, he actually ended up commanding a wing, but like he refueled planes on September 11th that were wow. um, flying around. Patrolling, like keep, yeah, patrolling, cities, yeah, keeping yeah. them in the air just in case. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my dad, you know, flew the cargo planes that would get refueled. Uh-huh. So, and he would talk about how insanely nerve wracking it is to get refueled because if you've ever seen, and you can look up, you know, pictures or videos of this, but basically, picture like a giant cargo plane in the middle of n- nothing around you, just just blue ocean all yep. around, and then this other giant plane comes up right in front of you with a long pole coming down the with, back of with it. With what looks like a catcher's mitt on the end of it. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. it just has to connect to your nose if you're the cargo plane pilot. And my dad said you have to keep the plane within a 10 by 10 box uh-huh. in order to not, you know, yeah. rip that gas pole out. <laughs> Otherwise, you got a bunch of planes blown up in the middle of the air. <laughs> yeah. So, so incredibly. You've got a giant bomb plane, essentially, in front yeah. of you. Oh, man. Well, and you kind of are a flying bomb as well. It's just wild how they made that work. And so that's that's been the way to do it for the last, you know, several decades. Well, that takes 12 hours to get a plane to deployment. A rocket can get pretty much anywhere in the world in about an hour. What? That's not true. Yeah. Yeah, I you know now that you say that, I remember them talking about like like that was a pr- like a thing they thought back in the day that people would just travel continent to continent via rockets. So that's Elon Musk's um, you know ultimate vision for Starship, which is the yeah. rocket they're building right now. Um, which real quick side note, they just last night they put three, they fired three new engines at the same time on the Starship. So they're they're building prototypes of it in yeah. Texas, and they've they've launched a couple of small little hops with one engine, but they put three of them in it for the first time and, and fired it up. So it's three, working. Three's uh, better than one. We're getting close to the Starship, but that's the rocket that's going to be taking people across the world someday and to Mars. Um, but the Falcon Nine rocket is the one that currently has been operating like a hundred missions, you know, since the last yeah. five or six years, and they take off and they land themselves. And they can fly around the world in less than an hour. Is it something that would be owned by like the post office or would the post office have their own missiles? I don't know if anybody's really concerned about mail <laughs> anymore. Sure. I mean, maybe, but I mean, d- even Amazon Prime deliveries, yeah. Amazon Prime is using the USPS. True. Yeah. I, I just wonder like I think it's going to be so expensive for a long time. It's probably going to be the military is the one that's contracting yeah, government SpaceX. Using it, yeah. Like let's deploy, you know, like government stuff. Big, sure. Big heavy equipment. But I think maybe eventually like a hundred years from now, whenever the costs come way down and there's tons of rockets flying around, maybe we'll start seeing like, yeah, like you're, you're, you order a computer and it comes. <laughs> well, I think the more, the bigger thing would be, it would probably go to freight first. Cause like we've ordered stuff freight mm-hmm. from another country before for videos. Like when you or like, or we've had been dealing with clients who have their products like, Oh yeah, we got to wait for it to get over. Like from it's in manufacturing in China. And then it's got, they got to get on a giant freight ship, which Boat. then takes a while to get here. Yeah. And, but it's not feasible like you can pay an arm and a leg to get it on a plane like you can do that sometimes like but it still doesn't get here that fast it's got to get through customs and all those things so i could see that being the next thing is like your time between manufacturing to distribution is going to drastically drop do you right? guys feel like this is a good idea i feel like it's a great idea because here's my thought i mean for us just talking about how Antarctica is like melting and sea levels are rising and you know all about electric cars and electric bikes and stuff like that the amount of fuel that's going to be necessary to fire rocks Mm. all over the world to deliver stuff wouldn't that be horrible for the environment well that's a big complaint against SpaceX and (laughs) Elon Musk and they have to kind of like figure out how to deal with that because yeah they're they're not great for the environment they just 
burning a ton of rocket fuel to get something up in the air. All because so. people don't want to wait an extra few days for their laptop. Right. And I've yeah. the the counter argument I've always heard to that is is the bulk of CO two emissions aren't coming from like these things that we think of like because we've got a few really big burners that do a lot, but we've got a lot more small, small. things. Cows. Yeah, like cows, cars. All, there's all kinds of things that create CO two emissions that are a lot easier to say like okay well we don't have a solution to not do these gigantic things right now but we have solutions to stop the you know billions of other small things and we can make a lot of these small adjustments which like if you look at a percentage of total carbon emissions I'm, I, and i could be wrong here i'd have to look this up again but I, i've i've been told the counter argument is that that yeah that is a deal they do burn those things but because it's so few and far between like you've talked about a few hundred missions in the past few years versus mm -hmm. how many times you've driven your car right, right but all spacex aside as we're talking about missiles that deliver mail then you would be i mean think about the billions amount of mail yeah. pieces of mail that are delivered um that you're gonna have a lot of missiles flying around the world yeah that's why i don't think it's gonna be like a mail thing i think it's gonna be like it's those few giant jets sure. and planes that we've been using in, in ships. The other thing is how much it costs. So, I mean, obviously this is going to, things just cost a lot when they're new and they eventually come way down. But right now it takes about $62 million to get a Falcon 9 rocket into orbit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so going to be, that's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, Amazon packages in that rocket to get <laughs> right. to $62 million. Well, what it really seems like it would give us the ability to do, it's like a safety net. It's like, it's not like, okay, this is a thing that we need. This is a thing we can have on standby to where like, if we have to respond quickly that's to the something. Thing. Yeah, that's, I think that's the can. military's logic is like, okay, say there's an attack, um, you know, even, even within the United States or whatever, just nearby and we got to get some... You know, we got to get some troops there yeah. real quickly. We can do it in less than an hour. Well, because do you remember whenever, uh, like, the president wanted to do, like, a big military parade? Mm -hmm. The One of the biggest issues with that was how hard it is to get all of those pieces of military equipment. In one place. In one place. Yeah. Like, our tanks aren't just, like, spread out all over the nation. They're in locations ready to, where they're most likely to be used. Um, or where they're most likely ready to be distributed and those kind of things. So I think, so my question would be is like, if that's the solution, it's like, okay, this allows us to get anywhere quickly. It's my understanding that like rockets take ideal launch conditions and all these things. So they prep for months to get ready to launch for a specific date. So how, uh, that's that's my question is, how can we be ready if this is a quick mode of transportation to just say, turn it on and go? I'm sure that's part of like what they're trying to look into. Yeah. Like and how can we have these rockets ready well, and it's it might be intercontinental is different than space too. I don't know. I'm it's not. Possible. I'm not a rocket mm. scientist. Oh, are you guys? You're not? No, no, I'm not. John? Yeah, I'm not no. either. Well, the other part of like just the you know we're talking about the distant future now, but like after we get past yeah, just moving tanks and jeeps and stuff like that around, there's the people that want to move. Mm. Uh, you know, from New York to London in in 30 minutes. Like that's the dream. Yeah. Um, that's still we're still a ways away from that because obviously that's. Even when that becomes available to people, it's going to be only the super, super, super rich that can afford it. Right. But even when they can afford it, these rockets go 25 times the speed of sound. Wow. So, like, how uncomfortable is that going to be for the average person yeah, who just wants to... Just the inertia. Right. Yeah, just like... Like, once you get up there, it's fine. But, like, that launch, I've been told, is really brutal on people. Right. So, I mean, these astronauts train for this. You know, they're they're ready. Yeah. They understand that it's going to be, like, a really uncomfortable ride for a little while. But how is just the average billionaire going to going to fare when they hop into their rocket expecting to just jaunt on over to London? And then they're like, yeah. oh, my gosh. This is <laughs> <laughs> their faces. I've now pooped. <laughs>
<laughs> Face is glued to the seat. You looked terrible. Took a missile over here. <laughs> I'm sorry, so. I have missile lag. <laughs> I love missile lag. Yeah, I think it's 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and it's really four days later. Like You're just so messed up. You're like... <laughs> So these are things that our grandchildren or great-grandchildren will be dealing with, and we're going to be like, oh, back in my day. So this (laughs) is just one of those, like, one of these things that in our mind seems like a brute technology, like Mm -hmm. such a, we're taking what we currently know and trying to make it something, like push the limits to it. Like back in the day, remember one of Danny's first podcast topics was people that made predictions of the future. Yeah. Like yeah. flying bicycles and because that was are, what, yeah, yeah that was their concept. Yeah. yeah. Everybody rode bicycles back then. So, like, let's make the bicycles, but they didn't realize the advent of the car. And yeah. yeah. Jets and now and people are like, like flying cars. I'm like, yeah. So, is there going to be another piece of technology that will be invented, like drones or something like that? Yeah. That they'll be able to, in some way, adapt or something we don't even know about that could actually accomplish what we're talking about, where it's not necessarily missiles. Yeah. I think that's likely to happen based on how wrong the predictions of the future have been yeah. in the past. I think the most feasible intercontinental travel they've discovered or they've been talking about for regular people like you and me is those really low flying planes that fly over the water because they can go faster than the Concords were going. Like there's some there's some way you can fly just above the ground there that it release reduces drag and all this stuff and you can just mm. like just haul across the ocean. Yeah. Super quick. It's like a hybrid boat plane thing. Mm. Um which so like I I think the for people you and me the closest thing is going to be getting closer to Earth not further away. You know I kind of feel like this podcast was like writing a missile mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Yes. Don't you? It was. It was. it was. it was a lot of fun. It was. I'm a little missile lagged. <laughs> oh yeah, you think it's 30 minutes ago, but it's really been four days. I yes. need a, I need a Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and speaking of missile lag, though we aren't about to get on a missile to travel, we are about to travel on an airplane. Yeah, yeah. we are. We are going to head to New York in oh next week. Yeah, we're and, and Minneapolis. And Minneapolis. We're doing a little triangle trip, triangular trip to New York, to Minneapolis, and back home really quickly. In about two or three days, we've got a, a quick trip to shoot a commercial for FAO Schwartz, who is one of our launch partners of this uh, channel and our podcast and everything. And they have a really cool partnership with Target. Yeah, and we're, we're so we're going to make this video all about this relationship with them. It's going to be the first of its kind. It's really exciting. We, we've written a really awesome 30-second commercial for it that we're really excited to shoot. And if you want to get a sneak peek into what it's going to look like, head over to Target.com or open up the Target app, and you can see as you scroll down to the bottom of that main page, you'll see a little mention of FAO Schwartz. I mean, there's, if there's one thing that makes the most sense about our partnership with FAO, it's how they are all about fun and magic and wonder and yeah. like kind of being a kid again, recapturing the enchantment of childhood. And that's what's so exciting about this because FAO Schwartz is known for that and they're bringing that to Target and we get to be a part of it. It's going to be a really awesome endeavor. Super excited about it. And we're really pumped to see the commercial that we make, um, you know, on the internet, but also like maybe on TV. We're not sure where it's going to run. So you might see it um, just on whatever show you're watching. Yeah. And we we can tell you a little bit more about it in future podcasts because not everything is publicly announced yet. But uh, just know, like, if you want to get some more information or see a sneak peek, head over to Target.com and check out the new FAO section. Well, thanks for listening to Timely. And like we said in the beginning, leave us a review if you enjoyed this podcast. And uh, go back and listen to our previous episodes. This uh, We've got a lot more random, fun topics that are, you know, it's called Timely, but I feel like it's always, it's kind of evergreen. Yeah, it's kind of timeless. We're like timely, Boom. but it's kind of timeless. There it is. Timely, the timeless podcast. Oh, it's so good. We're not going to say that because that's real cheesy, but... Yeah. We're all going to think it. I'm going to say it. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.